Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't either. I you on... look like a praying mantis. I know. <laughs> I did that for the whole first part. I'm just going to stop. I keep putting my fingers together in a little like decisive Maybe you're secretly position. praying because you're afraid of all of the Satan? Satan and your body is just like involuntarily doing that. Maybe I think I'm just trying to look impressive. Be like, it looks weird. Let's talk about murder. Okay, I can stop. Okay, so <laughs> um, we left off with the the beginning of yes, the night. Bad vibes on Stanford's campus. Yes, some really bad vibes on October twelfth, nineteen seventy four. Um, a lot of partying happening. Hap- a lot of partying happening. I'm not drunk, and um, Arliss decides that she wants to go I did it again I'm sorry I'm just gonna cross my hands okay um so Arliss was planning on going for a walk which she did often to stretch her legs and this Saturday Bruce went with her obviously because he was a little bit worried about her going alone um so that's just cute he's concerned um yeah so it was a warm night because it's California and it's warm every night and um (laughs) Is it not? <laughs> I can just, I feel like it's evident that we're like, that it's like 1 a.m. Yeah, I think so. He's just it's warm because it's always warm. <laughs> just like my snarky no side. no effort in yeah. this yeah. explanation. My snarky side comes out at 1 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so Arliss actually had a point to going out tonight. Um, she wanted to go and post some letters for, that she was sending back home to North Dakota to a couple of her friends. And the mailbox was a little bit further away. So she was walking there. Um, and they all, they walked together. Cute little couple. And everything seemed kind of fine. But then they started to argue about who was supposed to put air in the tires of their car. After everything that is about to happen, I bet Bruce was like beating himself up. For a really long time. Um, So it was around 11.50 p.m. And Arliss was just done with this conversation. (laughs) She was getting really annoyed and angry. And so she just tells Bruce that she wants a minute by herself to clear her head. And they're standing kind of near the Stanford Memorial Church. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to go in the church. I just need to be alone right now. Um, And Bruce agrees he's obviously angry about the conversation as well so he just gives her her space and they part ways bruce heads back to the dorm and arliss heads for the church um we know that she went into the church of her own volition because the security guard stephen crawford saw her enter the building there were two people who were in the back of the church when arliss walked in um they stated that they had seen her walk in and head to the back of the church where the altar is located. And then she sat down on the left-hand side in, like, one of the, like, I think it was, like, the second pew. They didn't stay long after she had arrived, and they left her alone in the sanctuary. So nobody else was around. Uh, Before the two church parishioners left the building, though, they saw a young man enter who they said could have been no more than 25 they described him as tall with sandy brown hair and that was parted down the middle. They also said he looked cheerful and was wearing a short-sleeved blue shirt. So if you remember... Sandy brown hair? Yeah, so they called it sandy brown hair. And the the guy that was described 
in um, at the law office. at the law office was having sandy blonde hair, but it could be like so dark like, blonde, light brown, right? Exactly. So those are interchangeable. But that's interesting. That's interesting. Tis an interesting observation. Okay, is it like common for people to just walk into this church and chill? Yes. So the church, um, the church closes at twelve a.m. Anyone can just walk into the narthex of a church, even after, like, when it when it's open. Um, I know that, like, the church I went to as a kid was always open for people to go in and, like, pray in the sanctuary when there wasn't a church service going on. So, yeah, it was open to anyone um, who wanted to come in, and then it would close at midnight. So, gotcha. um, yeah. So according to Stephen Crawford, he actually didn't see anyone in the church that night. He was the night guard and was responsible for locking up the facility. The church closed at midnight, like I said. So Stephen told the police that when he went into the church, he didn't see anyone any in there. Um, not Arliss and not this mysterious sandy blonde haired guy that, or brown haired guy. Oh, that we really? Saw. It's because he's hiding. <laughs> yes. He's hiding, and he has our There's list so many places to hide up. in a church. Yes, there's so many creepy <gasps> corners in churches. That would be a churches. fun place for hide and seek. But yeah, <laughs> the like church catacombs are like the perfect place for hide and seek. They're kind of what's a catacomb? So I, as um, in like the catacombs with all the creepy skulls everywhere. Yeah, those so, are real. Yeah, like under <laughs> churches. Yeah, there's a catacombs underneath the church that I went to. What? Yeah. It's like the basement. It, I mean, like, it's the catacombs is like the official terminology. Oh, but it's just Latin. a basement? But yeah, it's just a basement. They use it mostly for like storage. Um, it's not tunnels of schools? Well, the Paris catacombs yeah. is. <laughs> but yeah, so they actually, they did store bodies down there. And sometimes the catacombs would be used as burial sites for like priests. I'm not sure what the story is with the Paris catacombs. I don't know much about the history there. I'm pretty sure that there was... There's something related to the Black Plague, and they would put people down there. and there's, like, tons Um, of them down there. Yes, and just, like, keep their bodies away from the living because you could obviously become infected. Um, But, yeah, the catacombs are – they are mostly present in in all churches. So, yes, they're just the basement. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, some of them are – like, the the ones that are at the church I went to are not – they have all the youth group stuff down there. For, like, the middle school. Oh, it's, like, a finished basement. Yes. Where you, like, chill. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's not, like, gross much. and scary. No, no. There, it's I kind of like, want it to be, though. I know. It would be so <laughs> cool. So, like, um, the catacombs underneath, like, Trinity Church in New York City are creepy and dusty and stuff. But that's because it's a little bit of an older-style church. Um, the church I went to is pretty new, and they just updated the entire building, so... Modern churches still have catacombs, but they just call them basements. Gotcha. So, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Brief history. Um, but, yeah. So, no one's in this church, though, <laughs> according to the night guard. Um, and he did his kind of, like, normal routine, closing up everything. And he calls out and says, we're closing for the night. The church is being locked for the night now. If anyone is here, you'll have to leave. Um, there wasn't a response, which, you know, there's nobody in there, apparently. Unless you're um, hiding. <laughs> unless you're creepily hiding and trying not to make any noise. 
And I'm just assuming he just doesn't do a very thorough job with this because he's like, eh, there's no Anyone one in here. here? Nope. Nope. Bye. Bye. And plus, he also said that he was running a little bit late. So he closed the doors at 1210 instead of exactly at midnight, which he tells police. And um, I'm assuming that's probably why he didn't do like a very thorough through of everything. What does it hurt if someone's in there overnight? Like, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's not. And, like, this community is pretty tight-knit, and the people there all know each other, at least from, like, the testimonies that I read about the church and um, the history of this church. So the community is, you know... So, like, if there's, like, somebody in there that you know, you're like, eh, I'll leave it here. It's fine. Um, So Bruce... Don't forget about Bruce here, guys. <laughs> um, he's getting kind of antsy at this point. Um, they only live about a half mile from the church. And as I mentioned before, the campus wasn't a super safe place for women, especially at night. So Arliss is this tiny, cute little blonde woman walking around with a whole bunch of drunk men all over the place celebrating a win for the basketball team, which can be a dangerous situation. So the church also closed at midnight, which is something Bruce would have known because they were both active members. He just decides to go and look for her. So he gets in his car and drives around the campus and ultimately ends up back at the church. So thinking she might still be inside and maybe the guard left the place open for her, as you suggested, he tries to go in only to find all of the doors locked. So he checks back doors, side doors, front doors. Everything's locked. So he starts to get worried. But since the church is all locked up, he thinks that she might have gotten caught up on her way home. Um, And he looks for her for almost three hours. And around 3 a.m., he just decides to call the police and say that she's missing. While Bruce is walking the route back to the dorms, there was another witness who came forward a little bit later after the case had gained some notoriety, who said that they were walking past the memorial church and they heard some odd sounds coming from inside, but it was closed and there wasn't anyone around, so they didn't think much of it until later. They didn't really describe the sounds. They were just like, it was weird sounds coming from the church. Which, like, it's a church. (laughs) There could be wind rolling around. Like, a candle could fall over. Whatever. I'd be kind of creeped out about that, too. Like, I probably wouldn't go check that out. Yeah, no, me neither. I, I don't blame him for not checking stuff out. And, like, I'm a huge advocate for being like, nope, my own safety. Bye. Yeah, (laughs) totally. So, yeah. I just thought of how scary it would be to, like, not have a cell phone. <laughs> oh, God. I know. Like, that just, like, hit me for some reason. <laughs> it is kind of a scary thought because, and obviously people survived this time period of not having cell phones. But um, No, it, they didn't. Everyone was murdered. This is true. Um, but, yeah, so <laughs> um, everyone, literally everyone was murdered. Yeah, we started a new. A new human, human race. race. Yeah. The minute the iPhone was invented. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So um, now we have the police involved. We have this weird sound coming from the church. And they were probably talking to Bruce about what happened that night. And they actually end up back at the church as well. So they were probably greeted with the same sight. Um, Not probably. They were greeted. Sorry. They were greeted with the same sight. The locked doors and silent, empty, creepy church. Good stuff. Um, Because the doors had been locked from the outside, the police made the assumption that Arliss probably ran into trouble on her way home, which is the same assumption that Bruce makes. So they leave the church and they start combing the area um, for signs of Arliss. 
So at 5.40 a.m., Stephen Crawford, the security guard from before, opened the doors for the church. First, he found that one of the side doors was open. So when the investigation began, police Mm. discovered that the door had been forced open on the inside. Creepy, right? Sometime (laughs) after Bruce Yes. Because when he looked, it was closed. Right. And sometimes after the police checked as well. (gasps) Oh, my God. So... The killer's just being creepy and hiding in there. Yes. So the killer would have had plenty of time to just chill inside of the church because the doors were all locked by at least 4 o'clock in the morning. And then at 5.40, Stephen Crawford sees the door is open. Um, Yes. Like, why would you just chill in there? That's so gross. I know. It's just, well... Just wait. So when Crawford entered the main part of the church, he found the body of Arliss Perry partially under a pew on the left-hand side near the altar, which is where the two eyewitnesses last saw her praying. Um, The body was displayed in a really, like, really, really, really gruesome manner. Um, So I'm going to try and be as delicate as possible, Um, but it's displayed in this way that's kind of important to the case. So, and why, well, it's important to the case in addition to a few theories that pop up about this. Um, So that's why I'm going to tell you about it. Um, So this is from the official crime scene reports. Police said she was on her back, spread eagle, in the church's east transept. Her head was kind of leaning off to the left side, and um, half of her body was hiding underneath the pew. Uh, Her jeans and her underwear had been removed from her body, and they were resting around her ankles. The position of the pants in relation to her legs and torso is said to have been set up in a certain way to look like the religious symbol of the cross and the chalice, which is just like a cup, and then there's a cross in front of it. Okay. So it's nothing, yeah. Um, And I don't think there's anything, like, weirdly creepy about that symbol either. So it's kind of interesting that people have associated with it. Um, According to reporter Scott Herhold, the body did, in fact, look like it had been displayed to look like this symbol. One of her hands had been placed underneath her body by her waist. An altar candle had been forced in between her breasts with so much force that it had broken her bra strap open. So now this is the worst part. So get ready. According to the police, there were two 24-inch candles laying off to the side that had been used to sexually assault her. In addition... Yeah, it's pretty... Just wait. Um, In addition, there was a large candle that was still partially inserted into her vagina when the body was found. Yeah. Are you done? Is there more? No, there's more. No. Uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, She had ligature marks on her neck that matched a wooden necklace she usually wore, suggesting that she had been choked. She'd also been beaten, but this isn't what had ultimately killed her. The autopsy reports showed that she had been struck by an ice pick behind her left ear. The handle had broken off, but the five-inch blade was still inside her skull, which is why on the crime scene, the police didn't report the injury because the blade was, like, hidden behind her ear. Since the blade was found behind her left ear, the killer is most likely going to be left-handed. So they, they right, like, right, came right. at her um, on the left-hand side. So the police found a partial palm print on one of the candles and on a kneeling pillow, they found traces of semen, although they did not find any on her body ruling out rape. 
um, with a with body a body part. part. Yeah. Um, this probably means that whoever killed her actually masturbated after displaying her body in this gruesome manner. Gross. So, yeah. So that's it. Now you're done. <laughs> now Ten done. minutes later. Yep. I'm creeped out now. We should lock the door. <laughs> Do you want me to lock yeah, the door? Yeah, I'm like in a creepy mood now. <laughs> okay, cool. Wait, I don't want to go near the door, though. Wait, you have to come with me. Okay. <laughs> Woo. Okay, we locked the door. <laughs> um. So that's the crime scene. Crawford immediately got the police on the scene, and according to the 911 call, Crawford said, kind of oddly, um, hey, we've got a stiff here, which I can only imagine he was like very shaken by <laughs> by the the whole thing. But like, that's such a weird thing to say. So the investigation begins. Uh, the church services went on as planned for that day, but they were held outside of the church, including a baptism. So that's fun. And the Reverend Robert Hammerton Kelly actually saw the crime scene and said that it looked ritualistic and satanic. So already the suspicions about whether or not Arliss was killed for a ritual purpose were bubbling to the surface. Just the way that the body was displayed and the not only the violation of her body but also the use of the altar candles specifically for that is pretty telling I think and it's kind of an insult to the religion and the church as a whole in addition to you know violating a young woman's body who was an avid Christian so yeah I can understand that little finger yeah it's basically (laughs) So the autopsy report came back and said that her time of death was around 12 a.m., which of course means that Arliss was probably <sighs> dead when Crawford was locking up the oh church, my gosh. and the caller was probably hiding while he called I was out right. during closing time. Hiding, yes, hiding killer. Yes, I mean like there's a lot of places to hide in a church, and like I said, he was late on closing <sighs> everything up. That creeps so, me out. I know, and so like it's almost like. The killer must have thought that he was already done closing up everything. And so he killed Arliss at midnight, thinking every like Crawford had closed up everything already. And when Crawford came out and like he heard him moving into the sanctuary, then this person had to run and hide and like wait for Crawford to leave. But then that would mean they did all of this in 10 minutes. No, so what I'm well he stayed there until like 4 a.m. in the no, morning. No, like the Oh, I, yeah, I so guess like he, I guess he probably, didn't have to do all the display stuff right away. Right. That's so he true. probably like just murdered struck her, her yeah. with the ice pick first. I'm assuming. This is all assumption. Um so like we said before, we insinuated that the killer would have to have been there for the entirety of the night um, until the police left after having checked the the doors. Um, the police were able to test the semen to see if it was to see what blood type it was because they didn't have DNA testing in 1974. So it was type O blood type, which is about 40% of the population. So that narrows it down. 
Um, it actually kind of does narrow it down. Yeah. <laughs> Considering that they only have like 100% of the population to look at. And now they have 40. So that's pretty good. <laughs> um, so, of course, the first people that they looked into were Bruce Perry and the security guard, Stephen Crawford. So the police went into the dorm room that Bruce and Arliss shared. And when Bruce opened the door, he was actually covered in blood. Which oh. is not great. Awkward. Um, after your young wife has been found murdered in a church. Um, the blood actually ended up being Bruce's, and he got, like, chronic nosebleeds when he was nervous. Oh, my god! Yeah, so that would totally suck. <laughs> that and is they, hilarious. I know. And they did, like, a full-on testing of his shirt. Well, of course. To make yeah. sure that everything was, like... You know, oh my god, I his. love that that happened. That is so funny, <laughs> right? And so, obviously, the blood. Um, I came swear, back. officer, I didn't murder my <laughs> yeah, wife. I it's, promise, my nose it's just is like bleeding. My nose is bleeding. I'm freaking out right now. Like, of course, uh-huh. sure, sure, Bruce. <laughs> Whatever you say. Um. So, and Bruce may not have like known about his wife being dead yet. Because he had, they... Oh, yeah, yeah. so maybe he, like, wasn't super... Yeah. Like, defensive. Mm-mm. So he was, like, he was... <laughs> oh, my God, imagine those cops. Like, <laughs> that's just, like, so... Like, what the wonderful hell? that that happened. <laughs> I know, right? But luckily, the blood that they tested matched Bruce's blood type, which I assume was different from Arliss's. Because, again, you can't, yeah. you can't test DNA, so... So, in addition to testing the blood... Uh, He took a polygraph test, which he passed. Uh, This was before polygraphs were seen as a sort of pseudoscience. It can still kind of test whether or not you're nervous or not. It is hard to pass a polygraph test, especially when you're being interviewed as a murder suspect. Um, So he did pass it, and it was enough for them, for the police, to remove Bruce as a suspect in this case. Um, Bruce would later provide a DNA sample, which also ruled him out of the killing actually just last year. So, cool. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So they couldn't test the semen sample because it wouldn't yield anything, but they did take it and they have preserved it and would bring some new information later Ooh, in the future. Okay. Um, the partial palm print from the candle was also compared to both Bruce and Crawford, but it didn't match either of them. Um, The police, while sweeping the church, found that at least seven people had been in the church that night, including Arliss, Crawford, and the two witnesses. I'm assuming um, one of them had probably been tested as the reverend, probably someone who was also involved in the church. But there was one person out of the seven fingerprints that they had found um, that they could not identify fully. So Hmm. there's at least one person in the church that we don't know the identity of. And with that, we're going to end part two. Um, so, yeah, we're going to... Are you going to tell us what happens? Like, um, do they find the killer? Well, I guess I'll tell you in later episodes. Okay. I'll tell you in one of the other parts, whether or not they find the killer. Okay. But I promise it will be a good ending. Okay. Okay, well, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye! Bye.